glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. All right, if you're able, would you stand with me, please? And we'll read 24 verses here in Joshua chapter 2, and then later we'll get into some verses in Joshua chapter 6. Let's go ahead and begin here in verse 1. And Joshua the son of Nun sent out of Shethim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house, for they be come to search out all the country. And the woman took the two men and hid them and said, Thus there came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whither the men went, I wot not. Pursue the, after them quickly, uh, for ye shall overtake them. And uh, she brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them uh, with the stalks of flax which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan under the fords, and as soon as they which pursued After them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt, neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will also show kindness unto my father's house and will give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business. And it shall be, when the Lord hath given us the land, that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. And she said unto them, Get you to the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you, and hide yourselves there three days, until the pursuers be returned, and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, We will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind the line of uh, this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let, down, let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the, str- in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business... Then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, According unto your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. And they went and came unto the mountain, and abode there three days, until the pursuers were returned. And the pursuers sought them throughout all the way, but found them not. So the two men returned, and descended from the mountain, and passed over, and came to Joshua the son of Nun, and told him all things that befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint 
because of us. Thank you. You may be seated. I understand we read a lot, but we needed to for the context of this. If you were to look in your New Testament, you'll find Rahab the harlot mentioned three times. We'll find her in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, referred to as Rahab, same woman, Rahab. Uh, you'll find her in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, in that great chapter on faith, uh, where the Bible says, By faith the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. In James 2.25, uh, talks about Rahab being justified by her works, not justified in the sight of God, but her faith that she professed, justified by what she did in James. She's mentioned there, James chapter 2, Hebrews 11, and Matthew 1. You find her three times in the New Testament, which is very amazing because the Old Testament was written primarily to the Jewish people, written primarily about the Jewish people. And yet in the middle of this story about God raising up the nation of Israel in accordance with his promise in Genesis 12 and following Genesis 15, 17, 19, God made repeated promises to Abraham to make of him a great nation that is seen to be as the stars of the heavens, sand, and sea. God's in the process of doing that, taking them out of Egypt, leading them into Canaan. And one of the chief stories we find in this conquest is about a Gentile woman. Rahab is a tremendous picture of the church where there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond or free, where a Gentile, there are those that read the Old Testament and say, what was God so angry about in the Old Testament? What's not for him to be angry about? Honestly, look at our world. I had a, a somewhat of an atheist, undoubtedly a professed humanist, debating with me this week and with great disdain and disrespect and dishonor for God, said, my God wasn't very good at planning that God's perfect planning is going to put most people in hell. I responded to him, no, it's not God's perfect planning that's putting people in hell. It's human rebellion that's putting people in hell. If you're going to hell today, it's because you've chosen, not because God chose that for you. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And by the way, that is in the context of what is being stated in Second Peter 3. And so men today are perishing in the Old Testament. You know why the city of Jericho was destroyed? Because there was not a gracious and merciful God willing to save? Or because it was a stubborn city that was more willing to fight than submit? I ask you, if Jericho had responded to God like Nineveh, what do you think God would have done? Wasn't Nineveh's destruction as planned as Jericho's? Why didn't it happen when Jonah preached? They repented toward God, said, God's right. We deserve what's coming. Maybe he'll show mercy. Amen? May I say this about our nation? Our nation does not have to go, and I'm going to use Bible terminology, it does not have to be turned into hell. That's Bible terminology. The Bible says the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. How many of us know other nations have been destroyed that were stronger than our nation. The Roman Empire fell, did it not? You know why? It thumbed its nose at God and said, we're God. Eh, You know what? Communism in in the USSR, the USSR fell. You know why? It said, we're God. This nation's no better, no different. The nation of Israel and the nation of Judah fell. You know why? They forgot God. The wicked shall be turned into hell and All the nations that forget God. This nation knows in her conscience we know what happens to nations who forget God. 
And yet as a nation, by and large, not every individual in this nation, but as a nation, we have forgotten God. And it will fall. And you say, what's this have to do with our message? Jericho was a city-state, if you would. Here it is a large city, a walled city. I don't know if it's correct to call it a city-state. It functioned, it had a king, right? So it's a city-state. This, this is a major city, the first city across the Jordan River. And God has had its destruction planned for some time. But may I say, Rahab proves to us the city had opportunity to repent. They all knew what was coming. Agreed? And I only say that as a defense, and it needs to be defended, as a contending for the faith once delivered. God is good in all he does. God is the, the, the God of the Old Testament that wrote such strict law and judgment in the midst of his judgment and wrath, he showed mercy. And that is the character of God. The New Testament is not God as a new character. It is the character of God further revealed to us. You can see that same character revealed here. It's why we're preaching this series on shadows of salvation. The character of Jesus Christ is the same as the character of Jehovah God because they are one and the same. And we see that demonstrated in this story about Rahab. And so I found this interesting for Bible students. Maybe somebody here this morning would know what the name Rahab means. It is identical. It is the same Hebrew word that is translated when it's not somebody's name. The word Rahab is actually what we'd call a transliteration. I'm not trying to get smart on this morning because that would be impossible. If you study your Bible, a transliteration is when you take the Hebrew word and simply that's what you translate it as. It's the word, and I'm not even going to say it right, it's Rahab. Okay? We say Rahab, Rahab is what they would say. Do you know what word that translates as when it's not her name? Pride. The proud look in Proverbs, same word, Rahab. Now, it's interesting. She's anything but living up to her name in this story. But that's what her name means, pride. And God can overcome that. I just thought that it was very interesting that that's the name, the meaning of her natural name. You know what we are naturally? Proud. And that's why God has to send judgment because of our pride. And uh, the city of Jericho, excuse me, was a proud, <clears throat> excuse me again, walled city. And so as we study Rahab this morning, I want to again give you four things that correlate to us, that are applicable to us. And this time, if we look at them about her, there's an application to us today. And we're going to begin with Rahab's condemnation. When we are introduced to Rahab, she is keenly aware that she and her people are about to die. She is not wondering, is judgment coming? She just doesn't know when it's coming. She has heard about a God who parted the Red Sea. She tells us that. We read that in Joshua chapter 2. How word traveled from what God did in parting the Red Sea to Jericho, I don't know. It became common knowledge. Forty years prior to this, the nation of Israel had come out of Egypt. God parted the Red Sea. And most more recently... Sihon and Og, two Canaanite kings, had opposed Israel. They had been offered peace, by the way. Og and Sihon both were offered conditions and peace and said, no, we don't want peace, we want war. So they had war. And when they did, they lost, utterly were destroyed because they fought against God's people. And so then here you have the knowledge of this. Rahab knows all of this. She knows that God, the God of the Israelites, parted the Red Sea. She knows that the God of the Israelites had sustained them for 40 years in the desert. And she also knows 
that Og and Sihon, the Canaanite kings, or these kings that had been fought, fought against Israel, had been utterly defeated. And when they heard about the defeat of Og and Sihon, it put fear in the hearts of the people of Jericho. Prior to that, they said, what kind of a God is this that would part the Red Sea? But when those two mighty kings had been, had been smashed, utterly destroyed, their nations wiped out, Jericho began to realize, we're in trouble. They crossed that river and we're in trouble. Then you'll know that the river was in flood stage. If you read the book of Joshua, when they crossed it, nothing was going to stop this God who was deciding, you people in this land have got to be dealt with. How many of you have read enough of the Old Testament to know why God was taking the nation of Israel to drive out the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites? You ever read the list of sins they were responsible for in that land? They were sacrificing their babies to a God named Molech. They were committing gross immorality. If you read Leviticus chapter 18, it gives a list of things that the children of Israel were to never do because the nations before them had done them. And for that reason, the land had spewed them out. Now, how many of us think all these thousands of years later, God says, but now it's okay. Killing your babies because you're immoral, it's okay now. You know what? You can never, and I know this by experience, you cannot touch the abominable practice of abortion without getting in a debate over human morality and sexuality because they are inseparable. One of the reasons that the abortion industry thrives is the fornicating nature of this nation. You realize in the middle of Leviticus 18, I don't want to go any further with any detail. You can read your Bible on your own. And it's the same here in the city of Jericho. In Leviticus chapter 18, in those forbidden practices, right in the middle of that, and you're not to have this uh, relationship and this relationship, and it forbids uh, the sin of homosexuality, sodomy, and bestiality. All that's there. But right in the middle of that chapter it says, and you are not to offer your children to Molech. Now why do you think that's placed in the middle of Leviticus 18? Because to cover their sins, they were killing their babies. Hmm? Nothing new. America prides herself in being a civilized nation. You know what that means today? We are better at covering our sins than they were 4,000 years ago. We call it a human right. (laughs) No, 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 no. It's a human wrong. You with me this morning? That's why God was sending the nation of Israel in to deal with this nation all the nations in the land of Canaan because of their, their, their filth and their, their sin. And God says, I'm going to judge you. You say, what's this have to do with our message? Everything. Rahab is one individual in that city that is under such condemnation. Because of the, the life she lived, she was part of the problem. Can we see that? She was Rahab the harlot. She is part of why judgment is coming on that land. <clears throat> so we find that when we're introduced to Rahab, she already understands me and my people have gotten on the bad side of a God who's divided the Red Sea. We're on the wrong side of a God who defeated Og and Sihon. And she understood, I'm in trouble. It's very difficult to get an American citizen today to get to the point we we are introduced to Rahab at, where they're willing to own God is not happy with this nation. May I say, he cannot be happy with our nation today. Well, we've done this. There's no way we have legalized things that he says are vile. We have said they are human rights. Friends, they're they're human wrongs. (laughs) 
There's no way. So I'm trying to make some application. Here she is. She's condemned. So look with me, if you would, at the book of Numbers very quickly. And if you don't want to turn there, it's fine. I'll read it. Numbers chapter 33. This judgment had already been declared by God. It was not going to be reversed. That Jericho was to be destroyed. Within a few short days after the spies returned, God would give Joshua the battle plan for how to destroy Jericho. But God had already spoken that Jericho, along with the other nations and cities and inhabitants, were to be judged for their sin. And the nation of Israel was going to be used to carry that out. Numbers chapter 33, beginning in verse 50. And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye are passed over Jordan into the land of Canaan, Then ye shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their pictures and destroy all their molten images and quite pluck down all their high places. That's dealing with their idolatry. And you shall dispossess the inhabitants of the land and dwell therein, for I have given you the land to possess it. And you shall divide the land by lot for an inheritance among your families, so on and so forth. God had already issued judgment on the inhabitants of Jericho and all the other inhabitants of this land. May I say this this morning? I'm speaking of the sins of our nation and God dealing with us as a nation. But may I say that every person who has not yet come to personal faith in Jesus Christ is in the same plight as Rahab. Every person. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that, hold on, what's the next word? whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, unlike sending Israel into Canaan to destroy and judge. God sent Christ into the world to save. Sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Uh, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the the name of the Son of God. Look at John chapter 3, verse 36. The same truth is repeated. John chapter 3, verse 36. You see, man is sinful enough to have the wrath of God on us already. John chapter 3, verse 36. This is where Rahab was. Rahab didn't meet the spies and say, Hey, uh, I've heard that God is going to judge the wicked I don't think I'm that bad of a gal. Would you tell me, am I going to be condemned when judgment comes? Or did she know she was condemned already? That's where all of humanity stands outside of Jesus Christ. God has has spoken enough through the counsels of his own word and our conscience and the written word and the preaching of the gospel that every person is, according to Romans chapter 1 and Romans chapter 2, without excuse before a holy God. Without excuse. We know... There's not a person living today whose conscience is active that can't know enough to know I'm in trouble with the one that made me. I am not living the way I was created to live. Person says, I I don't know that. No, 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 we know that. God, God gave us the gift of a conscience. The Bible says he wrote his laws in our heart. Uh, No one had to tell you the first time that you stole something from one of your siblings that you did wrong. You knew it. Amen? You look at, I meet... Eight-year-olds who do a lot better this, with this than 28-year-olds and 38-year-olds. See, have you sinned? Mm. What's sin? Uh, and they'll give you a sin, sure enough. 
They don't. They can't quote the Bible, but they know that was sin. And you meet some 38-year-old. Have you sinned? Well, I don't. I, I think I'm a good person. Of course, I've sinned, but I think I'm a pretty good person. Well, explain that to me. Have you ever lied? Eh, I don't think it was a lie. You with me? Isn't that amazing how that works? They've not become less sinful. They've become more sinful, more clever. John chapter 3, verse 36 says this. We'll get on to better news in this message. We have to establish Rahab was condemned already, and she knew it. Romans 3, verse uh, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God... What's the next word? Abideth, meaning it was there already. Abideth on him. Let me ask you this morning. We need, we need a refresher course in this in general, in, in, the, in the general ideas that folks have about God. I, I read of a man recent days, and he wrote a, uh, I don't know if you call it an article, a blog, what you'd call the thing he wrote out, but he is convinced that God does not judge. He said so. Now, if you're getting your theology from the book called The Shack, then you'll be convinced God doesn't judge. If you're getting your theology from the book called The Bible, you'll be convinced that he is the judge. The Bible calls him the righteous judge. That's speaking of Jesus Christ. God says that he will judge the world by that man, Jesus Christ, meaning the measurement of righteousness that you and I are going to be held up against is Jesus Christ. Someone says, I think I'm a pretty good person. Compared to whom? Compared to me? You bet you are. Compared to Jesus Christ, we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. So if we've not put our faith in Jesus Christ to obtain his righteousness, God's righteousness is obtained as a gift from God by faith. Our righteousness is, well, I've done this and I've done this and I've done this and I've not done that and I've not done that. We're going about to establish our own righteousness. Friend, we're condemned already. If we've not believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, the wrath of God abides on us because the Bible tells us in Romans 1 and Ephesians 5 that his wrath is against all unrighteousness and ungodliness. Anything that's unrighteous and ungodly stirs the wrath of a holy God. The question this morning is, is God today, as of 2022, almost 2023, is God a God who still has wrath? He is. The Bible tells us of a great earthquake in Revelation chapter 6. It's the wrath of the Lamb of God. That's Jesus Christ. And you read of the great tribulation in the book of Revelation. You know what that's about? That's about the wrath of God poured on an indignant, unbelieving world that says, no, thank you. Man, I spoke of earlier and railing on God for not planning salvation very well because most people are going to go to hell. What a shameful thing to say. I mean, I say that man knows enough he could be saved today if he wanted to be. He knows the gospel as well as I do. Today, he's condemned, not because God didn't make a way for him to be forgiven, but because he doesn't think he's condemned. Rahab had no problem understanding and knowing she was condemned already. She was condemned by the determinate word of God. God had told Joshua, destroy how many of the inhabitants? So not only was Jericho condemned, But Rahab knew that she personally, as an individual, was condemned. And who had had rendered her condemnation? Whose word had said she's worthy of destruction? God. She was worthy of destruction. So Rahab's condemnation was determined by the word of God. It was demonstrated by the power of God. Let me read Joshua 2, 9 and 10 again. Let's listen to what Rahab says. Excuse me. It says in verse 9, and she said of, of chapter 2, She said unto the men, I know that the Lord hath given you the land, 
and that your terror is fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land. Isn't it interesting she uses that term? That's who God said was to be destroyed. All the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. Now notice what it says, verse 10. For we have heard. You know, my mind immediately goes to Romans ten seventeen. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. She says, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when ye came out of Egypt and what ye did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. I can imagine the skeptics in her town. Rahab says, I'm worried. I'm concerned. Yeah, you women, you do that. No, no, I'm concerned because I've, I've heard this nation that's across the Jordan River, they're coming. And I heard that 40 years ago, God parted the Red Sea. Did you see it? Well, no, I've actually never seen the Red Sea. But I heard, it's likely she never had. But I heard when they came, God parted it. It's an established fact. It's not just hearsay. Well, did you see the Red Sea part? No. I heard that they defeated Sihon and Og. Did you watch the battle? Let me ask you something. Did Rahab see the nation of Israel defeat Sihon and Og? Did she see the Red Sea part? She had the same amount of information you and I have this morning. She heard. I heard about a God who created all the universe in six literal days. The skeptic says, were you there? And I say, you weren't either. We're both living by faith. Amen? You're trusting your own reasoning? I wouldn't cross a bridge on that, let alone base my eternity on it. I'm trusting what God says. I heard about it. I read about it in my Bible. I heard that God sent a flood and destroyed the world. Was I there? No. Can I prove it? Yes. God said it. You know what Rahab was doing? She was believing what she heard. Not as a naive person who had no basis for what she believed. You know what? You, you know what? You know who didn't come around Jericho anymore? Never did they see Sihon and his people. They're gone. Ogden showed up. There was, there was, there was more evidence than just what she heard. The facts stood for themselves. My point though this morning is this. She said, we have heard what God did for you. And apparently she believed it. <laughs> And so then she was operating in the realm of faith. God had done enough where a person was willing to believe the truth. By the way, had God parted the Red Sea? Had those two kings been defeated? Yes. God had done enough to convince anyone willing to believe the truth that condemnation was pending. She had heard what God had done in the Red Sea. She had heard what God had done to those two kings. And she knew then that Jericho and the inhabitants were no match for God. Well, that people would realize today, you're not going to win an argument with God. He's right. Let God be true. And every man a liar. And so her condemnation had been determined by the word of God, demonstrated by the power of God, and declared by the will of God, meaning God had seen fit to make sure that Rahab could hear. You know what? Why did Israel wander 40 years in the wilderness? Was that God's original plan? No. God intended them to come in. They did it because of unbelief. And yet, their folly, God turned into a blessing in spite of them. Their unbelief turned into the salvation of a Gentile. Sound familiar if you've read the book of Romans? That unbelief gave enough time for word to float into Jericho. There is a God that is more powerful than us. God in His mercy allowed someone to come into Jericho one day and say, Have you heard what happened? No. What? What happened? There's these people coming across the desert. And man, I mean, there's a bunch of them. Millions of them. Who are they? I don't know. I heard they come out of Egypt. Are they Egyptians? No, they're not Egyptians. 
They don't have the Egyptian gods. They worship some god. There's a cloud a day and fire at night. Well, who are they? I don't know. But when they, how they get here? They came across the Red Sea. They must be some good swimmers. No, their God parted it. Are you sure this is true? They said it is an established fact. God drowned the Egyptian army when it happened 40 years ago. Now they've come and Sihon opposed them and he's been beaten. And Og and Rahab heard all of this. Just like you've heard things from your Bible about the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and you've heard about how He came as a virgin and you've heard how God one day is going to execute wrath and judgment and finality on this world. You've heard about that. You've had to decide whether or not you believe it or not. Rahab heard, did she not? She did and that is how she knew that she was condemned already. How do you know this morning if you've never put your faith in Christ that before a holy God you're condemned and that your judgment is pending. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die and after this, the judgment. How do we know there's a place that's called hell where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched? Because those are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He told us. God has been kind enough. You know what? 2 Peter 3, 9 goes on to say, prior to that, it says there are those who are going to scoff at the coming of Christ, where's, where's the sign of His coming? Where is He? I mean, we've been hearing for a long time that Jesus is coming. I don't see Him, do you? And it says, but we are to account that the long-suffering of the Lord is salvation. 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, meaning God didn't keep His word. He's slack on His word. As some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This morning, if God His mercy has allowed you to live long enough to hear that judgment is coming, that means He's giving you an opportunity to be saved. Why did God tell Jonah, tell him 40 days and then judgment? Couldn't God have just judged them? Weren't they worthy of judgment already? So why 40 days? Jeff, why? He's long-suffering. He gave them time to repent. The Bible says of a woman that God calls Jezebel in the church, I believe it's Smyrna, he says, I gave her space to repent. Even that wicked woman who was teaching people to commit sin, he said, I gave her time to repent if she would. Why ten plagues on Pharaoh? Now, I understand God knew what Pharaoh would do, and he'd harden his heart, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. But he gave him time, didn't he? And it demonstrates to us the long-suffering of God, but it also demonstrates to us the severity of God. And so then this morning, Rahab's condemnation, determined by the word of God, had been demonstrated by the power of God and declared according to the will of God. God gave her an opportunity to hear that she was condemned and that judgment was coming on her. Now in Joshua chapter 2, beginning verse 8, we find Rahab's confession. Verse 8 says, Before they were laid down, she came up unto the roof, uh, unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, now she's going to start talking, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. What are the first two words she says? I... No. How did she know? She believed. You know what believing God will do? It'll make you know some things. We live in the world says you can't know anything. All you can do is guess at what is true. I hear this all the time. Pursue the truth. Do that, but know you've got it. Truth is not something to be chased. Truth is something to be held. The church is the pillar and the ground of the you know what a pillar and ground does? It's not always chasing something. It's standing still. Listen here this morning, and I'm going to preach with some clarity. This book is true. Genesis 1-1, Revelation 22-21.
You may not understand the truth that's declared, but every word of God is pure. It is true. We're not trying to figure out how we got here. We were told. We're not trying to figure out, is there a Savior for man? We're not looking for a Savior. He came and He's coming again. We're looking for Him to come back, but we're not saying, oh no, what's the world going to do? Hey, we already have a solution. His name is Jesus Christ. And we're not wondering, how's the world going to come to an end? He told us. We're not wondering, was Jesus born of a virgin or not? That's not a truth to be pursued. It's a truth to be believed. We're not wondering, can death be conquered? Is there a resurrection? That's not something we're trying to figure out. It's something we know. Rahab didn't say, I think this might be so. She said, we know. We know we're in trouble with God. We know it. Listen, by faith, faith is not taking your best guess at what might be true and then believing it might be. (laughs) Isn't that the dumbest thing you ever heard? Faith is saying, I know what God says and God can't be wrong. I believe him. That's faith. Faith is not stepping out in the dark. It's stepping in the light God gives you. Can I help with that this morning? Faith is not taking a step into the dark. Faith is stepping in the light God gives you. Faith is not saying, I hope we were created. Faith is saying, we did because God said so. Faith is, that's, that's faith. Faith is believing God. Faith is not saying, well, I hope Jesus is the way of salvation. Faith is saying, we know He is because God declared Him to be. Amen. Listen, church, listen. If you're a Christian this morning, we need our faith shored up. God has spoken. Don't doubt your Bible. Doubt those who doubt the Bible. But don't doubt your Bible. Humanism says the only person you doubt is the person that says, I know. That's what they say. You you search it up. Only question the person who says, I know. Listen this morning. There's a lot of things I don't know. I'm very limited and so are you. But where God has spoken, we know. And you say, how do we get on that? Rahab's confession. What she start with? Verse 9. Verse 10, rather. For we have, uh, excuse me, verse 9. And she said unto them, I know that the Lord hath given you the land and that your terror has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard, I know because of what I've heard. And she wasn't listening to gossip. She's hearing the word of God. Uh, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did under the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side, Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She seems pretty sure of some things, doesn't she? She said, because of what I've heard about your God, surely he is the God. And our hearts have melted. I've heard of atheists and agnostics that say Christianity is a crutch. Friend, Christianity is more than a crutch. It's life itself. It's Bible Christianity. Atheism is a crutch. It is a guise to say, I'm going to pretend something's not true because it scares the living daylights out of me. If there is a God, I'm in trouble. So let's just pretend there's not one. We'll just say there's no God. How about that? The fool hath said in his heart, there's no God. Psalm 14, and I understand I'm not preaching a bunch of atheists this morning, but the fact of the matter is, Rahab says, here's what I know. We see her acknowledgement, her confession. I know that the Lord is the only God, and he is, he, he is the God. And uh, we see her agreement. We don't, you know, the king, the king of Jericho would have acknowledged pretty much everything Rahab said. We heard about the Red Sea. We heard about Sihon and Og, and we know what your God has been doing, but we don't like it. 
It ain't right, and we're going to fight it. Isn't that what they were doing? They were shutting up the city, preparing for a battle. But Rahab, what she's saying is, I know these things are true. Look at verse 13. She says, or excuse me, verse 12. Now, therefore, because I know these things are true, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed uh, kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token that you will save alive. Brandon, can you give us a hand? Kate, or Ed, you want to talk to Caleb? <laughs> All right, verse 13. And then he will, you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, Our life for yours, if you utter not this our business. And it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. What you hear in her is an agreement that God is right and she and her people are wrong. It's, I mean, if you've never dealt with someone who's under a condemnation and heard the recourse of defense... Yes, I have been arrested for a crime, but. Yes, I have been in prison for this, but. Yes, they, yes, I was involved, but it was the other guy who planned it. You with me? And this is, this is what, there can be remorse, there can be regret without there being repentance. What you hear from Rahab is, the Lord is the true God. He is the one that has done this, and I'm asking for mercy. That is an acknowledgement that God was right. She's in agreement with God. We find in her confession, she acknowledges who the Lord is. She acknowledges that her and her people are condemned. She agrees that it's coming and that it ought to come, but she appeals for mercy. Dealing with my children this week, a number of the miracles in the New Testament, you find someone saying to Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy. We've lost that term that is so in the Bible. Surely, goodness and Mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Mercy is God not giving me what I deserve. We are we are rights loving people. I have my, and you can always defend your rights against another human being. But if God gave every person in this room this morning what is right, meaning He responded to me in exact accordance in the way to the way I have always responded to Him. What would we have today? If God did what was right, would we be having an opportunity this morning to hear one more time how gracious and merciful and good God is? If God did what was... I won't ask for your lift of hands. How many of you have ever spoken, either in your heart or out of your mouth, a word of frustration and anger against God because of the way He's dealt with you? Or not dealt with you? If you've lived very long, somewhere you've been irritated with God. And yet God is always right. He's the rock. His work is perfect. All his ways are judgment. A God of truth without iniquity. Just and right is he. We need to be reminded this morning, God is justified in his wrath against mankind. And yet Jesus Christ came and satisfied that justice. Did he not? And we would ask the Lord in wrath to remember mercy. That's exactly what Rahab is doing. She's appealing to the mercy. The same thing the Ninevites did. Appealing to the mercy of God. Number three, Rahab's conviction. We've already touched on it. She's, we've seen her condemnation, her confession. Here, her conviction beginning in verse 21. The men answered her, our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Meaning, you have demonstrated you're on our side. You know what Rahab's doing? I'm changing sides. I have been a native of Jericho, but I want to be on your side and on the side of your God. You know what happens when you get saved? You get, you get, you change sides. You go from being on Satan's side to being on God's side, and you know who brought you over? Jesus Christ. 
And what happens is when you see someone converted, Jesus told the Pharisees, you're of your father, the devil. The Bible says we are all by nature the children of disobedience and the children of wrath. That's what we are by nature. And yet God in mercy is willing to bring us over if we'll concede that he's right and we're wrong. And that the only way to have our sins forgiven is through his son. And so here they say to her, you've shown kindness. You've demonstrated a sincere belief in our God. And because of that, we're willing to spare your life. But then they're going to test her conviction. She says, I know, I know, I know. How do they know she's not a spy? They're going to put her to the test. They say, that's fine. You want us to deliver you, we'll do it. But not if, if you go utter one word, we're here, it's off. Meaning, then you lied to us and you were just playing games. Mm-mm. But if you're sincere, and then they're going to put her to the test. She's going to tell you, first of all, about the trial of her conviction. They're going to say, here's what has to happen. She makes an appeal. When you come, when judgment comes, I'm asking to be delivered. I deserve what's coming. I acknowledge that it's coming, but I'm asking for salvation when it comes. Me, my parents, my brothers, my sister. She asked for the whole household. You know what they tell her? I'm going to have to tell you so we, so we don't, because we don't have time to read it again. So that's fine, but what you're going to have to do is bring them into your house. They don't get in because they're related to you. You with me? They've got to have the same faith Rahab that you have. So they've got to be, I'm going to, I'm going to read it to you. You've got to be in your house. The Bible says, verse 14, our life for yours. Let's read on down. Verse 17, and the men said unto her, we will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring, notice, thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head. And we will be guiltless, and whosoever will be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. This is the picture. Your house is the place of salvation. It's got to be marked with a scarlet thread. Boy, if there's not symbolism in that. The color of the blood of Christ, is it not? The Bible says, Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet. It's the color of our sins, but he says, They shall be as white as snow, though they'll be red like crimson. They shall be as wool. Revelation 1.5, we have been washed from our sins in his blood. You know what? The symbolism of that scarlet rope, you can only guess what it symbolized on her house prior. She was a harlot. Does it not represent something different now? What had been a token of her sin is now a token of her faith. That scarlet thread is to say, I believe God. You know what? Our faith this morning is not in our performance for God. Our faith for the forgiveness of our sins is in the blood that Jesus shed to pay for them on the cross. That's the scarlet thread. And if you want God's pardon, you want God's mercy, you've got to be in the room or in the house where the scarlet thread is. In In the household of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the door. You enter in by Him, by faith in Him. You are covered through the blood that Jesus shed for you. And there's an entire message could be preached on the saving power of the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about blood in your veins. We're talking about blood he shed and applied on the mercy seat in heaven. But what we find here is Rahab says, I believe judgment is coming and I believe God is merciful and I'm asking for salvation. They say, that's fine. The token of your faith is going to be the scarlet thread, a picture of the blood of Jesus Christ. The trial of your faith is we're not going to promise salvation or deliverance to anyone except those who believe what you believe. You can't just go tell your mom and dad, I'm getting saved, you can too. 
They've got to come to your house and be in here where the scarlet thread is. And if you can bring them in, then they'll have deliverance. If they won't be in your house, no promise. Meaning this, their salvation was in their position. You with me? That that thread marked the place where those who were of faith were to assemble and they were to be there. And so they, she, he said, you can't just go promise them they're going to be delivered. They've got to believe you and come in this house where the scarlet thread is. And so then that was a test of her faith. And what they're saying is, yeah, God will deliver you, but you've got to come God's way. I mean, I just know God is merciful this morning, but you're not going to tell God how to save you. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. If you and I are going to have God's promise of salvation, it is found through faith in what Jesus Christ has done for you and the fact that he lives to guarantee that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. We must meet God's conditions. And by the way, that's what faith does. Did Rahab have a problem? She said, well, I don't like this. I don't like this. I'm, I, I, you know, I hid you in the flax and I think that ought to be enough. Don't tell me I have to put some scarlet line on my window. What if people identify that and say, what are you doing, Rahab? That'll, make, that'll mark me to my own people. They might think I'm, I'm a traitor. Well, she was <laughs> to her own people. She had changed sides. No, no, she didn't argue. She believed God. So she did. We find the truth of her faith, of her conviction. Notice what it says uh, in verse 18. Um, verse 19, it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will be quit of thine oath, which thou hast made us to swear. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. Meaning, I submit to your will and your way and your words, and abode there three days, uh, according to your words, so be it. Let me back up. I lost my place. Um, verse 21 is where I want to be. And she said, according unto your words, so be it. And she went, sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet line in the window. You know what she did? She put out the token of her faith. We're going to have a baptism this morning. You know, what, you know what baptism is? It's a token of faith. First Peter 3.21 calls it the like figure. It's a picture. It's a token of faith. I have a hard time when someone says, I believe in Christ, but I absolutely refuse to get baptized. Baptism will not wash away your sins, but saving faith will lead you to obey the Lord and believer's baptism. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Why? It's a token. Let me ask you something. Did a scarlet line save this woman, or did faith that put her, made her put the scarlet line save her? You know how we know it was faith? Hebrews 11.31 says, by faith, Rahab was saved. And so the idea would be, here's a token of her faith. She has no problem putting the token on the wall so it would mark her distinct from everyone else and everyone in that house where that token was at would be saved. And we see in her conviction her testimony. Look, if you would, now at Joshua 6. We're going to move over and we'll wrap this up. Joshua chapter 6. We find some things about Rahab that I think are very uh, very interesting. As the Bible says, in all of chapter 6, you find the battle takes place. And Joshua gives specific instruction concerning Rahab. Uh, verse 17, it says, And the city shall be accursed, even it... And all that are therein to the Lord, only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And then if you move on down, we'll move past verse 17, uh, on down to uh, verse 21. The Bible says, And they utterly destroyed 
All that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. But Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, Go into the harlot's house and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab. Notice what it says. And her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. And they burnt the city with fire and all that was therein, so on and so forth. Verse 25, And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. Sounds to me that like when Rahab went to her dad and said, Dad, judgment's coming and there's a way to be saved. If you want to be saved, you can be. And dad says, well, how's that, honey? The spies were in my house. You never noticed that scarlet rope that's hanging? Yeah, I noticed it. I was afraid you were living bad. (laughs) No, no, dad, that is a token of my faith in their God. And if you will come, when the battle starts, if you'll come into my house, they've promised to deliver anybody that's in my house. You know what dad had to do at some point in time? He had to believe the same thing she did. You know how we know? He was in the house and her mother and her brethren and her sisters. You know, when we believe in a cause, when we believe in something, how can you tell somebody believes in something? You ever meet a guy and he likes to shoot a Glock? You know how you know? He'll have it on his hat. He'll have it on his jacket. And he'll have it in his waistband. (laughs) I mean, they, they believe in the guns. You know what they do? Man, they advertise it. You believe in a cause. You will tell people about the cause. There are some Christians must not believe very much. Don't tell anybody. The Bible says, I believed, we believe, therefore have we spoken. Isaiah 58 tells us to go out and sound like a trumpet. Is that not the command? Go into all the world and hide the gospel. Is that what he said? You know what, Rahab at some point in time had to go tell her family a promise of salvation has been given. If you'll believe it, demonstrate it, come in my house and you'll be saved. Her mother, her father, and her brethren, and her sisters, they all believed it because they were in the house when the city fell. You ever notice where her house was? What fell down when they marched seven times around? Can you imagine being the spies? Oh, no. They didn't know the battle plan. We were planning on invading the city and sparing her house, but God's plan is going to mess everything up. Now the walls are going to fall. Can you imagine when everything came crumbling down? you got one column, and it's got a scarlet line hanging on it. And everybody inside was safe and sound. And Joshua said, go get them out. Bring them out of here. And then they went and pillaged the city and killed every man, woman, boy, and girl, but not Rahab, not her mother, not her father. I'm going to tell you something. The hardest people in the world to win to Christ are the people that know you best. It's truth. I'd soon witness to a co-worker as I would some distant cousin or second cousin or first cousin. Or... Right? That tells me Rahab's conviction wasn't fake. She was real. When she said, I have found the living God. They said, we knew you found something, girl. Tell us about it. And when she said... I want you to listen. You know what? Listen, and I'm almost done. I've been long and you're listening close. You know why many times the unbelieving world doesn't take us seriously? Why should they? When we act like our faith is a joke, they will too. 
But Rahab didn't act like her faith was a joke, did she? When they said, hang a scarlet line, what did she do? Argue or hang a scarlet line? She hung it. She said, if that's how I demonstrate my faith in your God, I'll do it. I believe. And you know what? She had a testimony that stood with her family, so much so that when judgment fell, they were delivered. I don't know about you. I sure would like to have some loved ones with me in glory someday. Paul referred to those he had won to Christ as his joy and his crown at the appearing of Jesus Christ. So what's in our crown? What is eternal treasure? I know one thing that's eternal, and that's the soul of a man. Tig and I were talking a couple days ago. I said, do you know that when you put your faith in Christ, angels in heaven rejoiced? Now, we're happy today, but not nearly as happy as God is. I find one thing in Scripture that the Bible says there's rejoicing in heaven over. One. You'll never find it anywhere else. So when one sinner repents. Not one hundred. Look, boy, we got to be excited today. 1,300 people got saved at that evangelistic meeting. Wonderful. We only had one get saved around here. Rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Is that what the Bible says, Luke 15? When one sinner repents, when one sinner says, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I deserve whatever you would throw my way, but I want mercy. And that's what Rahab did. And finally, we see Rahab's conversion there in Joshua 6. This is what I love about this. The Bible says she was still, when the chapter 6 ends there, she, dwelt, she was dwelling in Israel even to the point of the writing of the scripture. We find her faith, all right? You see her faith in the chapter, and that, of course, is the root of her conversion. But then you find the fruit of her conversion. Rahab did not, we know, we always talk about, well, there was one person saved when Jericho fell. No, there was more than one. There was Rahab and every person she convinced that what she believed was true. Her whole household got saved. And the whole city felt, again, it shows us what a gracious and merciful God, even when judgment was falling, those who appealed to him and trusted him for mercy received it. I don't find anywhere in Scripture that someone humbled themselves before God, sought mercy, and God said, no. Now, I find a lot of rebels cut down. <laughs> But no humble people serving and and humble before God wanting mercy, including the Ninevites. So we see the fruit of her conversion. But then she had a future that has eternal dividends. I said she's mentioned three times in the New Testament. If you studied your Bible, you'll understand that Rahab was the great-grandmother of David, the king. Uh, Rahab married uh, um, Boaz's father. Okay, so Boaz's father. And then Boaz, the man who would later take Ruth the Moabitess, is... Rahab's son, Boaz and, and uh, Ruth had Obed, and Obed had Jesse, and Jesse had David. And then you come into Matthew chapter 1, the Bible says, And Salmon begat Boaz of Rahab, and Boaz begat Obed of Ruth, and Obed begat Jesse, so on. Until you get all the way down to a person named Jesus Christ. You find that Rahab is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. If you study that lineage in Matthew chapter 1, you'll find five women in that genealogy, which is very rare in your Bible. It's normally men. Five women in that genealogy, of course, married the mother of the Lord Jesus, who is not sinless, but sanctified for God's use. You'll find a woman named Tamar, who seduced her father-in-law. Wicked, horrid story, but obviously somewhere she repented toward God. You'll find a woman named Rahab. You'll find a woman named Ruth, who had been an idolatrous Gentile woman and got right with God and trusted God. You'll find another woman, a great Jewish lady named Bathsheba, and then you find Mary. You know what that tells you? Oh, God doesn't care about sin? No, God is in the business of redeeming sinners and using them for his glory. Amen? Rahab ends up in the genealogy of Christ. Why? What did she do? She believed 
God. How many of us know some things this morning because we've heard them? All of Jericho had heard everything Rahab heard. But all of Jericho didn't get saved, did they? Did all of Jericho respond in faith? But Rahab did. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, read it again. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. Rahab was different from the rest of her city because when she heard of this God, she believed what she was told. You know what? This Bible warns of a day that every one of us is going to stand before God and give an account. You know, you know who's going to, where it's going to get a hold of them? Those who believe it. It's a truth. But when you believe that, say, you know what? One day, it's the point I've been once dying after this, the judgment. I need to be ready for that day. The only way to be ready is to put your personal trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died, and I love the next two words, for us. He died in our place. And so then, John 3, John 5 tells us promises everlasting life to those who believe on the Lord, who sent the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 promises everlasting life to the person who puts their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning, do you believe God that one day there's judgment going to come? The Bible will give to every man according to his works. How many of you want to be judged good or bad based on what you've done? Meaning God's going to take every thought you've ever thought, every word you've ever said, and he's going to look at them and say, if all is good, you're good. But if it's tarnished with sin, you're bad. Can be judged by your own works. Good ones don't erase bad ones. How many of us know that's true? Eh, good works don't erase bad ones. How many want to be judged by the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Hey, that's salvation. And this morning, I don't know hearts, but you could be here and you've heard that there's a God who's holy and just and one day you're going to give an account to him. But maybe you haven't believed it. I don't believe this business about going on after death. I die, I'm going to the grave. Yeah, that's where your body's going. The Bible says the soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. My encouragement to you is, you ought to believe it, it's true. This morning, if you're a Christian and you and I believe it, shouldn't we at least be telling others there's a way to be spared judgment when it comes? You ever read 2 Thessalonians, what's coming from the Lord Jesus Christ? Vengeance, wrath. We ought to be warning, it's coming because God said, God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know what? We can tell them. They have to make a decision what they're going to do with it. I'm grateful for Rahab who went out and had enough of a testimony when she said, I, I have been pardoned. I'm going to be saved and you can be too. You know what they had to do to go in that house? They had to have faith. And this morning we're saved the same way. Mm-hmm.